Hi, this is Mike Edelhark, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of new companies, new ideas, uh, new areas of science, sometimes even a little glimpse of the uh, future. And today I have, I think it's fair to say, one of our more unique uh, portfolio company CEOs, Sonny Han of uh, Fulcrum. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, I'm curious, out of that little lead-in, where would you put you and Fulcrum, uh, a little view of the future? Uh, uh, how would you characterize what it is you're trying to do there? And probably best to tell people a little bit more about just what Fulcrum uh, does. Yeah, we are working with, I think, a very important part of the economy, a part of what uh, happens in human society. Our, our primary customers are manufacturers, or the people that fabricate and engineer and design and make the components and the goods that people buy and people use to drive a lot of different things. Some of our customers uh, are making components that end up in spaceships or end up in uh, heavy industrial machines that are doing automated agriculture, things like that, and, and, and a wide variety of things. So our software, internally, we refer to it as an operating system for these manufacturers, which is probably a, a overused and jaded term, but it, it's a piece of software where the functionality of which already exists in, in many different ways. Manufacturing was one of the first industries to adopt computer software in the in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And a lot of these concepts of, of lean software development and agile and, and Kanban, they were all invented for manufacturers originally and kind of ported over. So what we're doing is tr we're, we're in our current phase, we're building a product that helps to replace and also enable new levels of complexity to be able to be processed in manufacturing, to be able to share information with each other. So we're very much motivated internally by a vision of manufacturing that's very connected, very automated, um, you know, very fluid and frictionless. Um, but in the product right now, as, as we're building it and as we're rolling it out, it's very much grounded in how do we deliver value to these manufacturers so that they can operate better individually as well. So I would say that we're straddling the cusp of building a product that allows for a future to happen. Got it. Uh, and so uh, there you are, an Asian entrepreneur in Minneapolis. How'd that happen? I mean, obviously, because your parents were there, I presume, or something like that. But uh, uh, that's pretty unusual. Uh, and this startup being in Minneapolis is whatever you think about Minneapolis, also a little unusual. So. Would love to hear about your background a little bit and how you came to be doing this and how you came to be doing this uh, there. Yeah, I think all of our lives are at least uh, in large part circumstantial. We can't really control that are uh, more luck based and more accidental. I'm, I'm here because of a long chain of historical events. So we could probably trace it back thousands of years to uh, how China was governed as an empire for a long time and what happened through the Cultural Revolution. But fundamentally, my mom and my dad chose to come to Minnesota. Uh, because my dad was studying uh, civil engineering, my mom was a computer scientist, and Minnesota was the best overlap of their two fields of study. The University of Minnesota was, you know, invented email essentially and invented uh, a form of the internet that they called GopherNet that didn't win out to what we now know as the internet. But a lot of research was being done here at the time, so a lot of what I know about computers resulted in having. Uh, a computer in my bedroom when I was sharing a one bedroom with my parents as a as a as a toddler, um, learning to code when I was just a, a little kid and 
taking advantage of an early math education at the University of Minnesota starting in, in third grade and, and going on throughout high school. So I think I owe a lot of who I am, the skills that I have. One of our board members, uh, Yishan Wong, who was one of the first engineers at Facebook and PayPal and, and CEO of Reddit for a long time. He, I know him because he was on the math team that I was on 10 years before I was, and I met him at, at the uh, retirement party for our coach. So a lot of weird circumstantial things that influenced me into thinking about being an entrepreneur, into thinking about starting a company and basing it here. My kind of knowledge about manufacturing comes from a lot of businesses that I worked with here in the Midwest and on the East Coast. So geographically, subject matter, all these things are things that it isn't as if there was some preordained choice that I made to study these things and, and get exposed to them. But I think this is one unique nexus of things that I'm both interested in, really good at, and have a unique you know, take and perspective on. So uh, I, I think about this a lot, like what, what makes me who I am and, and why am I qualified to do this? Um, and I don't think any of the answers to that question are intentional. They're all very much circumstantial, so. Got it. And, uh, you know, the standard sort of point of view might be, well, boy, it's got to be hard getting started in Minneapolis as opposed to one of the more high profile uh, centers of entrepreneurial zeal. Did you actually have that experience or is that just mythology? I don't know. I, I don't have both experiences, so I don't think I can fairly compare. I will say that potentially there was less pressure and less context for me as to what we should accomplish or what venture capital looks like. When we first met and talked, I think you gave me a lot of knowledge on just how the game works, uh, knowledge that I was, I would say, even afraid of broaching because I was so far removed from it. So from a venture capital standpoint, uh, certainly there wasn't this passive knowledge of, of what was going on. I would say that some of the investors that we've talked to would would characterize that as a positive like there's the the conversations that i had were a lot more potentially like direct or unvarnished than other people that might have might have been pitching them but um no i i think that ever since i was a kid and most of my friends uh i met on online uh, there was this community called the well uh mm. a long time ago and i met adults that thought i was probably an adult on there when i was a child and um you know a lot of my my really good friends that that were from Silicon Valley that, that made their careers there. I met playing World of Warcraft in, in college. And I think a large portion of my friend group, 60, 70% have always been kind of remote, detached, internet-based. And I think a lot of the knowledge that I have comes from um, from those folks, from those folks that, that have strong roots. And I think I got a filtered and potentially concentrated uh, amount of influence from them as well, even though I'm here in Minneapolis. So. For whatever reason, I think mostly because of of the way that I socialize, potentially I I, I skipped out on a lot of the uh, lack of context that exists because we're here in Minneapolis. And I think um, I'm on a local board here that that grants startups, um, you know, government provided money to help start new companies. And I think a lot of the reason why I'm trying to to participate in those things is I want to see if there's any information or knowledge that I have that I can impart on the local startup community here in Minnesota, which is growing, um, but certainly not even close to as rich um, as it was, as it is in, in Silicon Valley. The thing that I complain about the most is that when I was a little kid, when I first came to this country, Minneapolis was kind of the hotbed of a lot of computing stuff, right? Control Data was here. Um, you know, IBM had a huge uh, production facility in Rochester, Minnesota, still does. Um, you know, a, a lot of what kind of, pre-web computer 2.0, if you will, was, was centered here in Minnesota, so. 
Maybe you can bring it back. So you just talked a little bit about, you said the way I socialize. What is the way you socialize? Uh, in spurts and uh, <laughs> usually with some sort of shared uh, game that we're playing or some sort of shared objective. Um, one of my co-founders, Trevor, he and I still play some video games together and we still talk uh, about things a lot. I think the online the online experience of socializing that I grew up with allowed for a different level of thoughtfulness and I think in-person socialization allows for, which I, I have a lot of friends that, that come over for dinner and that, that I'm that I cook for and things like that. But I think being online allows you a certain level of thoughtfulness because there is this somewhat like asynchronicity. You're expect, you, you expect to wait for people to collect their thoughts and speak. And I've only recently kind of compared and contrasted those two things. Um, but the, the same meandering, hypothetical, somewhat bullshitty way of, of socializing with people that, that I, I enjoy seems to manifest a little bit differently when it's purely online versus in person. And I think it, it allows for a, a different stream of information to be shared between people. Makes sense. Now, you have had so far uh, one of the more robust, I guess I call it, uh, extreme uh, fundraising profiles in our company. So you had the round that we got to know you and where, as you sort of indicated, I'm new to this, I've not done a lot of this. And the next thing I know is there's this conga line of super well-known, very large uh, investors who are crawling all over themselves to get to you and a very strong round and you know indications coming our way that folks basically just can't wait to give you money and to increase the value of the company i'm curious as to your sense of that and also your experience of it you know well folks go how did he do that but uh, from your point of view why is that happening to you do you think is it you is it fulcrum is it all of the above or what I think there's a few answers here. I have to say that at least a large percentage of it is just the environment that we're in. I mean, if you look at the numbers of the amount of money that's been poured into Series A and Series B companies in the last year, um, you could make an argument that potentially, I, I don't know how to, can't prove a negative, right? But there's there's a possibility that without this particular fundraising environment that we would have been below the cusp of an investable company. Now, obviously, none of our investors believe that, and and you're not going to form an investment thesis around that, around like this. This otherwise would have been a below the cost company. I don't know what's driving, a, a fundamentally, a lot of this additional activity. I don't know if it's because everybody believes that this is a, a watershed moment in how the world is going to develop over time. I don't know if it's because the market's growing so fast and like the appetite for higher risk is there. I think there's a lot of different things that are driving into it. So I, I I'm not a sophisticated enough financial person to know exactly what the reason is, but I don't think it would be scientifically or philosophically appropriate to ignore the fact that there's just more money and more money to get. And potentially there is a lag, like the amount of capital that's available is a lagging indicator to the amount of entrepreneurs that are starting companies that del deliver value to their customers, right? So I think that is probably a situation where there's more suitors and, and not that many you know, founders that are out there that are doing things that are valuable. I, I also think that we are potentially being rewarded for being somewhat outcome independent. Like we've tried to make our outcomes 
delivering value to customers, building the product really well, focusing on design, focusing on scalability and, and, and the functionality that we're delivering and understanding our customers. I think we've um, exposed all of our engineers to customers. We've flown people out to go on site, even if a deal doesn't close. We're building something where I want to do it new and better and different. So we hire people that don't have any experience in manufacturing and, and teach it to them from the ground up. So we do a lot of things in what I would consider to be extremely inefficient but in my opinion, very effective ways to get new and better answers. And I'd, I'd like to think that part of that is because of that, that we do have a product that's fundamentally different, that attacks a really big entrenched market. And, um, that, and I think that dovetails into another reason. There's other large titans of industry uh, like Procore and Service Titan and Shopify that have paved the road for vertical B2B SaaS companies being extremely successful that I, I don't think we would be seen in the same way if they didn't exist, right? And there's other companies too, like Restaurant 365 and Toast and, 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 a, and a litany of other companies. And I think those companies, uh, the investors that really understand us have had experiences understanding how those companies unfolded and that it might take a little bit more time in the beginning, but that they'll explode at some point in time as, as, as you hit a tipping point. So I think it's a collection of, of all of those things. I think I've certainly gotten better with a lot of our conversations at cleaning up the message of what I'm trying to communicate vision-wise to investors. So I think that's certainly helped as well. Um, I think one thing you pointed out is that I'm, I'm potentially too cerebral for a lot of investors and that, that simplifying it down to the core concepts instead of trying to prove myself scientifically as if I'm writing a paper, I think that advice has been extremely valuable um, for me as well, in terms of being able to form that connection much faster. Um, and I think we execute really well too. I think we've hit the numbers that we thought we were going to hit, even with road bumps and, and things that didn't go very well. I think we communicated very honestly, transparently early to everybody. I think you receive our monthly updates. We talk right. about all the bad things and the good things all the time. And and internally, we focus on fixing problems instead of glorifying ourselves. So I think all of those factors uh, results in us having an organization that's strong. And I think we need to prove to ourselves, like if we had lots of capital, would we allocate it to us? And, um, and I think the answer is yes. And I think other people agree. So, uh, I'm grateful and fortunate, but I, I, all of those reasons combined, I don't know how to allocate the, the credit to any one of those things, but those are the things that I think about the most. Got it. Yeah, well, and uh, even little things. I, I, we've never specifically talked about this, but when we we invested in our current funds, more than four hundred companies over the last you know decade, umpty up years, and exactly one entrepreneur in exactly one round sent the initial set of investors a love book, um, uh, and it was you. Uh, and, you know, describe maybe what it was, but I was stunned and I could tell the other investors were stunned. We don't get books that say, I appreciate you and here's who you are and what I appreciate about you. And I wanted you all to know each other. It was flabbergasting. And uh, here I am talking about it years. Where did that idea come from? And maybe tell folks a little bit more about what it was you did and, and why, because it was unique in my experience. Yeah, I think we have all, we started out as a company, as a remote first company. We've only really kind of established a, a strong physical presence here in Minneapolis where about half our team is here in the last year. But um, early on, I discovered that when you're remote or when you're meeting customers or vendors or new employees for the first time, it's, it's actually really difficult 
it, it's not impossible to read somebody else's mind, obviously, right? And we communicate things and some people are more guarded. And I'm personally someone that has a hard time sharing my emotions, like personally, and even if it's privately, one-to-one. And I think that in that particular instance, and in other instances, we, we put together these decks of appreciation to our employees too, where we say, here's specifically why we think you're valuable to the team and what, you, what you've contributed to the culture. And it, I think it really helps. I think it's a, a really important part of human interaction. And so I think the that document that we put together was a very accurate description of a, a sense of gratitude that I had that I had a hard time describing in words in a conversation. And and I think it I I, I hope that everybody really understood that it was both accurate and genuine. I don't I don't think that we talk enough about the pain of bootstrapping a company. We talk about the glory of having more capital left over and more, more shares at the end of the day when you go public or whatever happens. But I think there is this, there, there was this group of people that we had here that just fought tooth and nail some weeks, not maybe not making payroll. Like it was this crazy journey that we made that where we lost some folks. And in that moment, there was this moment where we realized we had a product and a product company that we're building. And you all did as well. And you all contributed something to getting that round together, but also more importantly, something about how I, and then because I shared it with the team, how they saw our own business and how we were going to go forward. So um, I think people talk a lot about how investors can contribute or don't contribute or whatever it may be. I think I wanted to make sure that I, I memorialized for both myself, for you and for the team that was an important inflection moment in the history of this company. And I think that if you don't do it in that moment, that moment's lost and you might reminisce about it and, and you know, have a, a glass of whiskey in the future and we can, you and I can chat at some point in time. But hopefully what that accomplished was it crystallized that moment for all of us together as we all move on to other deals and other, other, other things that we're doing. Um, I think hopefully that, that puts a bookmark in our lives that we can go back to. And that, that was what I was trying to accomplish. I think it did exactly that. Again, in my case, I was uh, literally stunned. I mean, I didn't know about, I knew about the other funds, but I didn't know the perspective you brought and these little images and everything in there. Uh, it was beautiful. It was uh, uh, thoughtful. It was human. It was, uh, it carried a sense of this is a moment in time. It, it had uh, a whole set of attributes about it that, I liked you before, but I liked you a lot more after. I mean, just in the sense of, wow, what an interesting person to do that. And what an interesting culture he's likely to be building if this is at the center of it. And what uh, unique relationships he's likely to have with this and future investors and customers and others if this is the sort of sensibility that's coming into the uh, uh, into the relationships. Uh, I, well, I appreciate great. that. I appreciate that it was meaningful to you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it really was. So you've had, I don't know if hyper growth is the right word, but your company is a lot bigger, a lot uh, more uh, grounded, a lot more uh, prominent than it was even a little while ago. So what do you imagine is going to happen next for you and the company? And how do you feel about it? Is it, yeah, or is it, oh my gosh, we're at the, you know, here we go in the next crazy roller coaster ride or uh, I'm jumping out of the plane. I sure hope somebody gives me a parachute or what? Yeah, I, 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 I try to remind myself that if I could predict the future, I should choose a different line of work than what I'm doing right now. But I think that 
there's a few things that are lessons or maybe even pre-lessons that, that have stuck with me recently. I think one is that I'm both the limiting factor of the company and also fundamentally potentially the only person that could do that function right now. So a lot of our growth is because I've been able to force myself to grow. The team has forced me to grow in different ways. Um, and, and I've been able to do it with less of myself doing the work and more of other people uh, aligning with what we're trying to do and, and, and executing on it. So I think that that lesson that, yes, I'm doing less tactically for the company. My job is more about motivating and providing clarity to the team. And yet there's an inf not infinite, but significantly more layers of growth that I need to accomplish over the next however many years to continuously rise the occasion of allowing for this growth to happen. So I think that is the thing is that I don't know how to predict the market, but I also don't know how to predict my own ability to grow if I'm going to be able to continue at that pace. I think number two is that we're still somewhat in stealth mode. We didn't announce that Series A. There was an, another deck that we built for all those investors, yourself included as well, that, that I think we shared with you that was um, that's on a web page but isn't live. We haven't really put a lot of money into advertising or PR. Where we've been able to, you know, more than triple the size of the team and more than triple the size of our revenue, um, mostly just on the back of kind of incremental work. I think we could achieve a lot more growth than than we have, and and we're preparing for that as best as possible. Um, one of Ishan's pieces of advice is always be prepared for more success than you planned on because a lot of companies die of indigestion and, and not of starvation, right? So I think that that concept is something that I'm, I'm thinking about a lot. But as you know, uh, in this particular position that I have, it's a really crazy, paradoxical, quizzical mix of are we going to fail tomorrow or are we going to like grow too fast and then we're going to fail because of that. There's this like healthy paranoia that I'm trying to balance out as well. So I I foresee that as the product gets even deeper, even cleaner, even better, even easier to onboard, even easier to sell, that that I expect there to be a significant amount of growth over the next year and a half, two years, as, as at least as far as I can see. I don't see any huge extant threats that that say that that won't be the case. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm scared that we're going to mess it up and, and not rise the occasion. But other than that, all of the the trends and all the tides seem to be pushing us in that direction. It's been a fascinating journey to participate in alongside you so far. I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, you're one of the portfolio companies where the potential is that our active role with you may be relatively short because you're getting so big so fast and the titans are lining up that uh, our greatest focus and ability to support a company is when they're young and when they're relatively small and you are not going to be relatively small for long. So I may be to some degree, uh, I'm always happy to talk with you and, and support, but a bit more of a spectator, a uh, fan of in uh, you know the pretty good seats in the stadium while uh, others can carry this weight going forward. So I'm um, uh, just can't wait to see what's going to happen next. And I hope we can continue to participate. But I also in some way hope that we can't participate because your next round is so big at so high a value that uh, you know we can't uh, get a seat at the high table anymore. Well, don't be too surprised if I come to you crying one day with some problems that I need you to help me solve. But I, I appreciate everything you've done to date for sure. Well, uh, I'm ha always happy to I call it being the primal scream uh, investor. Uh, gray hair says pretty much anything that's happened to you has happened to me or somebody close to me at some point. So. Happy to do that. Uh, 
great job so far. I suspect it will continue to be a great job. And I can't wait for the opportunity in this very strange world to actually like be in the same room with you at some point. Absolutely. That would be an interesting, all this stuff has happened and we haven't actually met. So uh, uh, can't wait to have the chance to do that uh, too, hopefully soon. Absolutely. Great. I think let's leave it there. We could probably talk all afternoon, but uh, uh, I think this would give folks flavor. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for all the work. Thanks for the book. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk soon. Let's talk soon. Have a good one. Thank you.